0: Welcome to Life on Life, Lesson 15, Learning to Meditate Over God's Word. If you owned an ice cream parlor and you could only sell one flavor, a wise owner's choice would be simple. It'd have to be vanilla. This isn't just because vanilla ice cream is the most popular flavor, it's because vanilla is far and away the most popular. It's twice as popular as the second favorite flavor, chocolate, and chocolate is twice as popular as any other ice cream flavor. No question about it. If you could only choose one, your choice would have to be vanilla. When it comes to how people change, if you could only choose one way to help people at all levels of spiritual maturity grow and their relationship with God, your choice would be equally clear. Encourage and equip people in how to read the Bible. How to meditate on God's Word. It may sound strange to you, but did you know at the coronation of the British monarchs they were presented a Bible and told, you're now, present, you're now holding the most valuable possession on earth? Do we have any idea what the Bible is that we can so easily uh, pull up on our phones? Christians claim it is God's written revelation God's revealing to humanity who God is, who we are, and what God requires of us, which makes it the most priceless gift, sweeter than honey, more precious than gold, sharper than any two-edged sword. For disciples of Jesus, we are to value the Bible because Jesus did. Jesus had the highest possible view of Scripture, which he knew intimately. He said it's more necessary for life than our daily bread. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, Jesus said. You want a deeper connection with God? No question. When it comes to spiritual growth, nothing beats the Bible. The Bible's influence transcends all other catalysts, much like vanilla ice cream's popularity dwarfs all other flavors. I've never known a spiritually mature person whose life has not been saturated in Scripture. The Bible is to be something we talk about, not just on Sundays. Moses tells the people of Israel that the words of God are to be on your hearts impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. If we want to become life students of Jesus, and that's what a disciple is, then there are certain new habits we have to groove by training. That was last week's lesson, not trying, training. In the movie, A River Runs Through It, the older son talks about something his dad, a minister, taught him. To my father, all good things, trout as well as eternal salvation, came by grace, and grace comes by art, and art does not come easy. And that's it. As we said last week, would we expect that learning from Jesus how to think, feel, and act would require less training than learning how to fly fish? When it comes to nourishing our faith, nothing beats the Bible. So am I just saying, read your Bible? Well, I'm afraid we heard that before. Maybe when you were a young Christian, you got really interested in the Bible. You had a quiet time with a Bible reading plan. You even memorized verses. But somewhere along the way, you just got tired. Reading the Bible began to feel obligatory and lifeless, just words on a page. Or maybe you tried reading the Bible straight through and you found it confusing. You came across troubling stories that raise a lot of questions. It's one reason more than a few of us have given up reading the Bible is that it's confusing and it can be intimidating and you don't know where to start or you don't know what to do with all your questions. One scholar compared reading the Old Testament to sorting through a large, messy closet. You don't know where to put all the stuff. And eventually, you just get frustrated, close the door, and try to forget, feeling guilty for another thing you meant to do. February just ended. I have a close friend who told me recently that for 10 years, she's planned to read the Bible through each January. But sometimes in February, each year, she gives up. She's already behind schedule, and February is when Leviticus comes up. What's the deal with Leviticus, all the animal sacrifices and the kosher laws, not to mention the strange stories? Most troubling, she said, is that the God she meets in parts of the Bible sounds different from the God she hears about on Sunday. Well, a big reason people give up on the Bible is that we're confused about what the Bible is. Think of it as God's story of the world, written in two acts, what we call the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you walked into a play at intermission, it's hard to understand what Act 2 is really about. And if you walked out after Act 1, confused or troubled by some admittedly troubling scenes, you'd missed how those scenes are cast in a new light by Act 2. Well, the Bible is God's story. God's the main character. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, these are the climax of the Bible's one unfolding story. Everything in Act 1 is building up to Jesus' entrance, and everything in Act 2 is about him appearing on the stage and what that means for the rest of the world's story. Christ is the climax of the play, and every scene points to and finds its meaning in him. But this lesson is not about how to understand the Bible either from Genesis to Revelation. That's an important question, having a sense of where all the pieces fit in the larger story and what it means to say every story whispers his name. And I wish everyone in our community could be more familiar with the scope of the whole Bible, both acts of the play, all the scenes. And for this uh, matter, Bible study and reading for learning is vitally important. That's what a lot of us think about when we think about reading the Bible. But that's not what this is about. Nor is it about our very important questions, can I trust the Bible? Where did it come from? How are we supposed to understand that it's inspired? Divinely inspired but humanly composed. Are we supposed to take the Bible literally? What does that mean? What's the significance of the Bible being written more than 2,000 years ago in a completely different context? Those are important questions. And for the curious among you, I put some resources together in an appendix. Of course, people who take the Bible seriously will have questions. But this lesson's not about that either. This lesson is for those of you who believe the Bible is God's word to us. You know you're supposed to read it, but you just keep getting bogged down. For a lot of us, let's be honest, the Bible's like eating our vegetables. We know we're supposed to, that it's good for us, and we'd feel better if we did. But we just can't bring ourselves to make it part of our daily diet. Now, you might have had on occasion amazing experiences reading the Bible, but I'm more talking about developing the regular habit so it moves from duty to delight, so it becomes something you never want to miss, like habits that no matter even if you're on vacation, you would never miss, like drinking your coffee or checking your phone. That's my question. How can reading the Bible become a daily habit you never want to miss? I'm going to give you five time-honored steps. And by time-honored, I mean this is a practice from ancient days called sacred reading. We need to recover this ancient practice for our busy modern lives. This is a different type of reading than we're used to. This is not reading for information, like reading a book or newspaper, but it's reading for transformation, like reading a love letter, where you pour over and savor every word. That's how some of the early church talked about the Bible a love letter from God. They used to sound sentimental to me and overly pious. Part of it sounded appealing, that the one who loves me has a personal message for me, and yet when I actually tried to read the Bible for myself, it did not sound like a love letter. It felt more like a box to check. When I was a corporate banker and a young Christian just learning to read the Bible, I was taught three steps, observation, interpretation, application. I'm grateful for those Bible studies. That's how I learned the Bible's content. But if I'm honest, it didn't feel like a love letter. My head was getting filled, but it wasn't changing how I looked at or cared for other people. And I began to get discouraged. My heroes were talking about the Bible in a way that sounded very foreign to me. For example, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, "'The word of scripture should never stop "'sounding in your ears and working in you all day long just like the words of someone you love. And just as you do not analyze the words of someone you love, but you accept them as said to you, so accept the word of Scripture and ponder it in your heart as Mary did. That is all. How does that happen? Not for pastors like Bonhoeffer, but for normal working people, for busy dads and tired moms and college kids and grandparents. A few years back, someone showed me this ancient method of sacred reading where I can listen, learn to listen, to what God might be saying to me today. The Bible's word for this, mentioned over 50 times in the Bible, is meditation. We don't use that word much today, and when we do hear it, it's often referred to in Buddhist or non-Christian circles as a type of mental training. But it's also a very important word in the Bible that we need to recover. Psalm 1 says we are to meditate on God's Word day and night. What is meditation? It's not Bible study, but it is grounded in reading the Bible. And it's not prayer, but it does include space for silence and listening. It's a combination of both, but it's neither Bible study nor prayer. It's, it's meditation. It's ancient and it's biblical, and it has five steps. First, prepare. You're not going to fall into the habit of biblical meditation. You have to prepare. Prepare by making it easy, attractive, and urgent. Easy, remove the barriers beforehand. Social scientists tell us the best way to train yourself to run in the morning is to lay out your clothes the night before and set them by your bed. Make it easy. For scripture meditation, have everything set out. Set your Bible out the night before. Decide where you're going to sit. Decide what you're going to read. Start simple. Start small. Start with one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and just read one scene, not a whole chapter. That's like learning a semester of Spanish in one night. Just one scene. You make it easy, and you make it attractive. I picked on Leviticus earlier. For some of you, Leviticus might be your favorite book in the Bible. But starting there is like giving a kindergartner an algebra text. Start with something attractive. A gospel, a letter of Paul. I mean, sure you'd like to do algebra, but that takes some preparation. So make it attractive and make it urgent. There are so many metaphors in the Bible, about the Bible, but one is daily bread. Like if I don't nourish myself in this each morning, I'm going to be hangry all day. Reactive and impatient. In another place, the Bible is compared to a washing agent. Washing with the word, Paul says in Ephesians 5. And we get it. My mind is cluttered, messy, and foul. If I don't wash my mindset with God's word each morning, I'm going to be fouled up all day. An image I come back to is eyeglasses. On my own, I don't see. I don't see myself well, others, or God clearly. My, my vision gets blurry each morning when I wake up. I'm surrounded by lies. My brain lies to me. The world lies to me. So I need scripture. I need God's eyeglasses to help me see clearly. Easy, attractive, urgent. You won't prepare to read God's word until your heart's convinced. If I don't do this today, it'll mess up my whole day. Because it's urgent, I'm going to make it easy and attractive. And always start with a simple prayer asking the God who inspired the scriptures long ago to illumine them for you today. So that's just step one, prepare. Step two, read. You already picked a short passage. Read it, out loud or silently. Place yourself imaginatively in the scene. Use your imagination. Enter in. We're going to practice that in our lesson together. Or pick a psalm. Identify the emotion being described. Read with expectation that God has a word for you today. So take note of what word or which phrase jumps out at you or touches you. Read, listen. What passage, what word, what phrase lodges in your heart? Make some space. Ask God, what do you want to say to me in this present moment? That's what meditation is. It's a way of listening to God. Eugene Peterson says that when the Bible calls us to meditate, it's the image of a lion growling over his prey or a cow chewing its cud. We have a mini labradoodle named Dickens. He only growls at us when we give him a bone and then dare to come near him when he's gnawing on that bone. But you know what Dickens is doing? Biblically speaking, he's meditating over that bone. He's chewing on it, gnawing on it, until it breaks down and metabolizes and gets into his bloodstream. Well, that's meditation. That's why the most striking metaphor for this type of reading in the Bible is eating. Not read your Bible, but eat this book the same spirit who inspired these words once long ago is the same spirit who now lives in you illuminating these words for you that's why the bible is called living and active because the living and active christ is actively speaking through these words to those listening for his voice meditation requires slowing down sitting with the text learning to listen so you read and then you reflect Reflect. Read the passage a second time. You have a sense of what's going on now, but you're reading with an open ear. Lord, what part of my life needs to hear this word today? If it's a psalm, where is this feeling in my life? If it's a story, where am I in this story? Again, use your imagination to enter in. It's Mary saying, let it be. It's Abraham wondering, how can I know? And you see how different this is from Bible study. You're not reading to become one who knows what Nehemiah is about. You're asking the Lord what he's saying to you through his prophet. Again, there's a time and space to get familiar with the Bible's story. But as necessary as it is to get through the Scriptures, it's more important to get the Scriptures through to us. To read for transformation, we have to go slowly. Madame Goyon wrote, If you read quickly, it will benefit you little. You'll be like a bee that merely skims on the surface of the flower. Instead, in this new way of reading, she writes, you must become as the bee who penetrates into the depths of the flower. You plunge deeply within, wishing to remove the deep nectar. Fourth, respond. Read, reflect, respond. Read the passage a third time. Where is the invitation in this text? Where is the opportunity? What's the challenge? What is God asking of you? You are responding to what you've heard. Maybe God has touched a place of pain. Maybe your selfishness has been exposed. Something you're holding on to that God is saying, let go. Maybe you're holding on to some secret and God is saying, confess that to me. What is God calling you to release? As you meditate, you take it in and expect it to nourish you. Not just words on the page, but bread for your journey that God has a word for you. It usually has to do with that word or phrase that caught your mind's eye the first time through. You're just chewing on it like little Dickens with his bone. To mix metaphors from Psalm 1, the roots are going down, drawing moisture from the living water to bring sustenance into your life so that you can become rooted and grounded as you read, reflect, respond. And here's your fourth and final way of reading. Now, some of you are saying, wait, I have to read this four times? Well, that's why you pick something small, short, a scene, a story. But the more you do it, the more intuitive your meditation will become, and you won't be thinking about meditating. You'll just be meditating on God's Word. So fifth, rest. Don't stop till you get here. Read the passage one last time. At this time, rest in God's provision in Christ, His sufficiency, His promise to meet your every need. Rest is remembering that you move out of this place into your day from a position of acceptance and fullness. No matter what deficit was exposed, in Christ you are full. Give thanks and rest in God's presence, for God has promised to meet your every need and will provide whatever he's called you to do. This is a posture of surrender. Breathe. Does this sound burdensome to you? Like all the spiritual practices, it's a means to an end. The end is to enjoy God. But here's what I can promise. If you will train and practice in these steps, you'll encounter God and His Word in ways you never have, and it will deepen your faith like nothing else. It's the same way you learned how to hit a baseball. You can read about the mechanics, but sooner or later you have to step up to the plate and take a swing. There'll be times you strike out you're not going to hit every time, We're going to practice uh, together in our groups. But I'm convinced you can do this. Prepare, read, reflect, respond, rest. Remember that you are being formed. You're being formed. Jeff gives us a a feast each Sunday. But as we noticed, that's just three hours a month. What about those other 477 waking hours? Who's forming you? What voice are you listening to? We have to learn how to nourish our own faith, wash our own polluted hearts, and correct our vision each new day. That's all these habits are doing. They are tending to the gap between what we believe and what we experience. All spiritual practices are simply pathways to experience the enlivening presence of the Spirit of God, Emily Freeman puts it. And that's the point, not boxes to check, it's not meant to foster feelings of shame. If this sounds too involved for some of you, we'll find a plan that works for you. Find a practice that helps your soul. But I can promise you this, no one stumbles into health. And I can promise you one more thing, that there is no way you will grow in the knowledge of God, deepen your faith, grow in your love for God, and increase your hope without engaging frequently, if not daily, with the Bible. If you were stranded on a desert island could only have one book, what would it be? Somebody once asked this question of G.K. Chesterton, one of the most learned writers, Christian writers of the 20th century. Chesterton did not pick the Bible. He chose Thomas's Guide to Practical Shipbuilding. <laughs> if you're trapped on an island, what could help you more than the book that will get you home? But in a sense, we are trapped Trapped in patterns of thought and habit, thoughts and patterns of habit that lead us to death. Trapped on an island where we don't know who God is, who we are, or how to get home. We need rescue. Disciples of Jesus know this about ourselves, that we need help. So don't just admire this book. Take it and read it as if your life depended on it, because it does. Until the day that we might finally grasp Why would I want to start my day any other way? Okay, we'll see you next week.